that clock says 6.01 and that clock says 5.59. <laughs> okay, now we're at 6 o'clock. Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Board of Supervisors District 2 Candidate Forum presented by the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. So happy to have our uh, live audience here tonight, as well as welcoming those of you who are watching this on the um, stream that Nevada County Media is putting out. I want to thank Nevada County Media for always coming and recording our candidate forums, which makes it available to a lot more people who don't necessarily want to come out on a very rainy, drizzly evening. So thank you to Nevada County Media. This uh, recording of this will be made available soon after it, tomorrow. You'll be able to go to the League's website, um, League's Facebook page, or Nevada County Media to um, pick that up. My name is Jan Bedane. I'm the uh, co-president of the League of Women Voters, along with Lynn Forbes right over here, who is my um, cohort in that. Uh, I want to thank all the volunteers who are here tonight to um, help us put this on. I particularly want to thank um, the media. Thank you for showing up on a weeknight. Uh, thank you to our candidates in especially. And um, tonight we have three candidates for the Board of Supervisors District 2 um, race. We're missing one candidate. Um, uh, Jason Tedder declined our invitation. So he is not here, but he will be on your ballot. Uh, I also want to thank the Rood Center for allowing us to um, part have our forum here. Um, I want, we have one more forum coming up. That's next Tuesday, and that's State Assembly. Um, we will have three of the four candidates here for that, and it's at 6 o'clock again, and you will be able to watch that live stream. We are asking for more questions for that forum. Questions can be sent to info at lwvnevadacounty.org. Uh, let's see, I want to just mention that our website is full of lots of information for this season of voting, this election cycle that we're in. I mean, if you want to find out what district you're in or if you're registered, um, what's going to be on your ballot, we have all sorts of inf links um, that you can just go to and find it. So our, our website is a wealth of information. Please use it. We work hard to make that um, information pertinent and up to date. This is our website, lwvnevadacounty.org. Um, I really encourage you to utilize that because um, it's just, it's chock full of great information. Um, and then finally, the, the, league, the league really believes that democracy works best when there is a um, civil and respectful uh, exchange of ideas and thoughts and visions and information. And it's in that spirit that we provide these forums. We are honored to provide these forums, and we are very appreciative when people participate in them. Um, and we thank everybody here tonight for helping us achieve that goal. So without further ado, I am going to turn it over to our moderator tonight. That's Jennifer Granger. Jennifer is a local attorney and a longtime member of the League of Women Voters. Thank you, Jan. Okay, so I'm just going to go over the uh, ground rules briefly. 
so each of the three candidates will give a two-minute opening statement. And the order of the opening statements has been decided by they drew numbers earlier this evening. So Rob Tucker will go first, John Herrera second, then Jeff Pettit. Um, then they will answer alternating questions from the audience questions and media questions. Each of the gentlemen have uh, one minute to respond to the question. And each of the gentlemen have um, two opportunities to rebut if, if they so choose. Um, we've each, each of them have um, the opportunity to rebut two times and they'll, and they'll indicate their wish to um, speak uh, to a rebuttal by raising a red card and we'll keep track that way. So like I said, we'll start with an audience question, then we'll alternate with the media questions, and then um, we will conclude with a two-minute closing statement. Um, and again, the first closing statement will be Mr. Tucker, followed by Mr. Herrera, followed by Mr. Pettit. Okay, so um, why don't we get started? So um, Mr. Tucker, you have two minutes for your opening statement, followed by Mr. Herrera and Mr. Pettit. Thank you. Um, I am Rob Tucker, and I want to thank everyone for coming tonight. I want to thank the League of Women Voters for inviting me. And I also want to thank the other candidates, um, because as I've already found out, uh, running in a race like this uh, is a lot of work. It's a lot of work for the families. And so I think everyone should be commended um, for uh, putting themselves out there in this process. Um, a little bit about me, I was born in Nevada County, and in fact, my birth certificate doesn't list a hospital or an address. It says I was born in a resident, uh, Highway 49 South, next to the Golden Chain Motel. So I am as local as local gets. Uh, I attended local schools, um, including Bear River High School, where I was part of the first class to attend all four years. Uh, graduated from Pepperdine University, and Wheaton College Graduate School, uh, ran a local business here uh, for upwards of two decades, and uh, now I'm raising my uh, three children in South County uh, with my wife, Christy. And um, the reason I'm running for the Board of Supervisors is quite simply, uh, I want my kids to have the same quality of life that I had growing up here in Nevada County. And um, I, it seems like every week there's another family friend or uh, acquaintance that is moving out of state. And the reason I always get is the quality of life and cost of living. I feel like the mistakes um, in other parts of the state um, are starting to creep up to Nevada County. And I feel like we need maybe a different perspective on the Board of Supervisors um, to address some of these issues and try and retain families uh, and businesses. So um, in a nutshell, that's why I'm uh, running. And uh, thanks again for having me. Mr. Herrera. Hello, and thank you for inviting me to the League of Women Voters. I really appreciate it, and thanks to the volunteers. Uh, I first want to start off again with my name. My name is John Herrera. I've been a resident here now for 40 years. I originally was born in Ventura County, where I grew up in various types of businesses, family-owned. My family, who came from Mexico in the 40s, uh, embodied the American dream and were very successful. 
They instilled hard work and high ethics from us kids at the time. When I moved to Grass Valley in 1983, 84, uh, I absolutely fell in love with the community. Uh, from there, I was able to get into the grocery business, which was part of my family's legacy, and was hired by Rayleigh's. A year later, I met an employee there who I uh, fell in love with and married. We've been now married for 36 years had two children, and now have five grandchildren. Through my adventures in life, uh, we worked hard and bought a home, and subsequently, I had a calling for law enforcement, ended up putting myself through the academy at the ripe old age of 36. After putting myself through the academy, I was hired by Marysville PD as a part-time officer, and I'm gonna shorten this up because I have 30 seconds. I then lateraled over to the Grass Valley Police Department because apparently they needed a bilingual officer and one of the academy instructors knew that English is my second language. I didn't learn English until I was eight years old. It was just part of our culture. Long and the short of it is, I've had a 20 plus year career in law enforcement, loved every day of it. I really enjoy the community and the people. In the 20 years I helped shape where we are now in Grass Valley, and I want to continue that tradition of service as District 2 Supervisor. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Pettit? Thank you. First, I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters of Nevada County for hosting this forum. My name is Jeff Pettit, and I am running for Supervisor for District 2, and I'm here tonight to ask for your vote. My wife Holly and I moved to Nevada County about 25 years ago after I completed a six-year enlistment in the United States Navy. We moved here to be closer to family and to raise our children here in this beautiful county. After attending the police academy, I applied for and was hired by the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. I worked for the Sheriff's Office for 22 years, rising through the ranks and retiring as a captain. I had the honor of leading every division of the Sheriff's Office and worked closely with many community member partners and agencies to address the challenges we faced as a community. I managed the first upgrade to the safety and security system of the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility, switching it over from an analog system to a digital one. I was a member of the, the Nevada County Criminal Court Committee meeting, or committee, to discuss operational logistic needs of the court. And I regularly attended community, community meetings on topics relating to the jail and its operation. As the operations commander, I managed the technology upgrade from our old mobile data terminals in the cars to, the more, uh, to tablets so deputies could take reports out in the field. And I acted as the public information officer in the absence of the sheriff. Soon after the tragedy in Paris, I was at, or Paradise, I was asked to manage the Office of Emergency Services. In that role, I was responsible for coordinating with county departments, local cities, special districts to prepare, respond, recover, and mitigate natural and man-made disasters. During our first PSPS events, I advocated and secured generators for the city of Grass Valley to ensure critical medical care facilities did not lose power. Prior to my retirement, I assisted in securing a $4.8 million federal earmark funds to upgrade the county's law enforcement radio infrastructure. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So uh, we'll start the questions off with an audience question. 
And Mr. Tucker, you, you'll go first, followed by Mr. Herrera and Mr. Pettit. Okay. Um, so the first audience question is, there have been some press and public commentary recently regarding complaints about excessive salaries for various county officials. What is your position on this issue and why? Yeah, I think, uh, number one, I think it's important that we really value the county employees, um, their hardworking families, uh, like the rest of us. Um, but as I've uh, talked to people and uh, in my district, that's something that comes up a lot. And I think part of it is because of the, the waste that people see at the state level, feel like um, maybe the government isn't looking out for the taxpayers. So I don't know the answer um, whether the, uh, the county employees are overpaid, but I do know when you look at some of these salaries, over $400,000 in total compensation, dozens of county employees who are paid more than the governor of California, I do think it's something we need to look at. I think it's something that the taxpayers have expressed concern with. As you said, there's been articles written on it. So I think it's something that we really need to look at. And that's one of the primary responsibilities of the Board of Supervisors is to be watchdogs for the taxpayers uh, within the county government. And that's something I would look forward to doing. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Herrera. Yes, the question was? Uh, the Nevada County, or I'm sorry, um, there have been some press and public commentary recently regarding complaints about excessive salaries for county officials. What is your position on the issue and why? Well, that's interesting. I am currently the POA president for the Grass Valley Peace Officers Association and been involved in many negotiations and a salary plus other incentives, programs as part of our pay. In the thousands of people that I've talked to, and hundreds probably daily, I've never heard anyone in express that we get paid, overpaid, or our government officials are paid in excess. Uh, that said, uh, based on your question, I'm unfamiliar with those complaints. Uh, however, I do believe that they are comparable based on salary surveys within our region. Uh, I do believe that you get what you pay for in life. If you get the lowest bidder, you're going to get the lowest quality. Okay, thank you. Mr. Pettit? Thank you. So I have heard some of these, and I know this came up last night as well. Um, the Board of Supervisors, one of their jobs are is to, is to set the budget and, and to be in those negotiations with the various uh, bargaining units as well as the senior staff um, here at the county. And they do that by looking at comparative counties, and that's counties that have like populations that are geographically similar to ours. Um, and they, they look at those and base a lot, of their, a lot of what's going on or what those salaries are based on based on that. Um, the idea is to be stewards of the public's money, uh, but at the same time to hire the right people to do the job that the, that the citizens demand. And I think the county does that well. And um, it is, sometimes it does cost to get those higher performing employees here, uh, but really it's what the citizens demand and what, what the people here want. They want to see high performing employees and leadership here at the county. 
Thank you. Um, our next question will be a media question, and we'll start with Chris Gilbert from KNCO Radio. And then uh, John Herrera will start, followed by Jeff Pettit and Rob Tucker. Well, good evening, candidates. Uh, there have been a number of failed attempts to pass fire assessments in the Higgins District. And are there any other funding options you would suggest, or would you support another attempt? So fire safety, public safety, they're on the top of the list of everybody's concerns. And in regards to the Higgins Corner, I'm not well versed in that area when it comes to what's been discussed. But based on my training and experience and my own assessment of the area, I believe that it is not a high fire danger zone. However, I do believe there are legitimate concerns in regards to public safety and fire in that area. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Pettit. Thank you. So the Higgins Fire District, their um, parcel fees are $25 a parcel. They've been like that since the 80s, the early 80s, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe there is something we need to do to fund that fire department. Um, we, are, we take advantage of the fact that CAL FIRE partners with Higgins, and that's fantastic. Um, but $25 to fund a, a fire department, I, I just don't see that being sustainable. We've had to close one of those, they've had to unman one of those, um, depart, or one of those fire stations, the one on Dog Bar. And as we recall, that's where the river fire was. And that fire had incredible potential, and we lost homes in that fire. Um, we do need to do something, and we do need to fund that department, whether it's looking at the federal level for funding or at the state level. Um, but yes, we, we can't continue to fund it at $25 um, unless we want to have the services of, of the 1983 and the equipment from 1983. Okay. Uh, Mr. Tucker? Yeah, I think everyone would agree that um, fire safety and emergency preparedness is one of the most important issues that we have here in Nevada County. I think there's some skepticism uh, amongst the public, and I think Measure V and even Measure um, B, I think it is the, grass, the current measure on the Grass Valley um, ballot, kind of uh, left a lot of people disenchanted. Um, just the, the way it was structured, it didn't even have the support of the local firefighters union, and the county framed it as a, um, as a firefighting measure, but it was a general tax, uh, so they didn't need the two-thirds vote. So I think, um, you know, these repeated efforts to um, go back to the taxpayers um, for something that is a need, but I think the way it was done, the process, maybe left a lot of people sort of disenchanted. So I think we really need to focus our efforts um, on uh, introducing measures that I think the whole community um, can uh, um, come together on. Okay. Okay, so we'll move on to the next audience question. And um, Mr. Pettit, you start, followed by Mr. Tucker and Mr. Herrera. Okay, so the question is, uh, the Nevada County General Plan has not been comprehensively updated in 30 years. Do you think the General Plan still aligns with community goals? If not, what will you do to update land use policies to align with community goals? Thank you, I love this question. Um, so 
Plants here in the county are meant to be living plants. In other words, they should be looked at on a regular basis, whether it's once every year, um, which I don't think is realistic for a, for a general plan. But the elements of that plan, each individual chapter of that plan, should, should be looked at probably every five years. And then if no, no changes are needed, it should be annotated that it was reviewed, that we are paying attention to that. You know, we have plans now. These plans put forward, like our, our CW, our Community Wildfire Protection Plan and our Local Hazard Mitigation Plan, um, those should be updated every five years. And if they're not, we have a potential not to get federal and state funding. Um, and that we, we can't avoid, we can't afford to do that. We need to make sure our plans are up to date and that they, these are living plans and they're not just sitting on a, on, a, on a desk collecting dust. Thank you. Mr. Tucker? Yeah, I think uh, there's no question housing is also a huge issue. And I think the uh, general plan uh, is definitely in need of, of an update. Um, the housing affordability is a huge issue here. Um, if people can't afford to live, if entry-level um, uh, workers can't afford to live, um, businesses are going to go elsewhere, families are going to move elsewhere. So I think it's critical uh, that the county um, plays an active role and is proactive in uh, updating the general plan. And the reality is, if we don't do it, the state's going to do it for us. Uh, they're continuing to um, uh, give mandates that require the uh, local jurisdictions to do it. And so um, it'd be, uh, I think, uh, catastrophic to have another example of the state uh, sort of moving in and taking over something that should be under the control of the local government. Uh, so in answer to the question, yes, I think the general plan is in need of updating and uh, the various elements um, even more frequently. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Herrera? Well, they didn't leave me much to say. They covered it pretty good. However, I do feel the Board of Supervisors have touched on that, especially last week at their meeting down in Grass Valley. Uh, like anything else, a 5, 10, 20-year general plan needs to be revisited, as Pettit mentioned, uh, more frequently, in, especially in this climate. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that's going to change this year. And uh, with ignoring it, we're going to get behind the eight ball and run into some issues. So I do think there is a need for updates. Okay. Uh, Mr. Pettit has a rebuttal for one minute. Okay, so I will say this. Um, it's not as if the county has ignored the general plan. There are elements that have been updated, um, including the housing element, which was just updated, I believe, two years ago or maybe even sooner. Um, but there's still, that still leaves a lot of that plan that needs to be looked at and um, at least signed off that it is valid and it's still um, what the community demands. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so next uh, we go to a um, media question and this one will be posed by Marianne Bolsey from the Union. And we will start, Mr. Tucker will start first. Uh, good evening, candidates. Uh, what changes or amendments would you support regarding the cannabis ordinance, seeing as one conditional approval was recently on appeal and several other neighborhoods, such as the one on Meyer Ravine and Blue Heron, have been actively trying to change the administrative process for approval? Do you think the permit process 
should involve more than an administrative process? This is another issue that I've been hearing uh, a lot from the community as I uh, meet with people in my district. And I think you've got kind of three, three elements to it. Of course, the illegal grows that um, seem to be pretty rampant in the county is something that we all agree uh, that, that have no place here. We need to give the Sheriff's Department the resources to take care of that. Um, I think an issue that we've seen coming up more and more is the legal grows in residential neighborhoods. I've heard from uh, neighborhood after neighborhood, some of which you referenced have gone before the Board of Supervisors, who um, are living in residential neighborhoods, um, raising their families, their kids, and they have these commercial grows uh, next door to them. So I think that's a huge issue. I think we need to look at revisiting or updating uh, the cannabis ordinance um, to address that issue. Um, and so I think those are, are the higher priorities. And then uh, after that, we can take a look at the actual uh, administrative process uh, for the legal growth. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Yes, uh, that has been coming up from District 2 residents. Uh, what I hear a lot of is how these permitted commercial and non-commercial homes pop up or farms in between really nice neighborhoods. Uh, Prop 64 uh, provides a lot of finance and enforcement from the sheriff's for the sheriff's department to address these issues. Uh, from my understanding, uh, there are a lot of loopholes that favor the grower. Uh, of course, this is new. Prop 64 uh, opened the door. Uh, and I believe that uh, our county failed to plan ahead for some of the pitfalls that we're facing now. So uh, it's an issue, and it definitely needs to be addressed and looked at with the cooperation of the citizens, especially in HOA areas and areas with CCNRs. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Pettit? Thank you. So I have met with community members and I've gone out to some of their homes um, and looked at some of the commercial grows um, that are in ag, in ag zoned areas. If they're in a residential zoned area, I don't believe they can have a commercial grow there. Um, so that would be something I'd definitely talk to the sheriff's office or call the sheriff's office about. However, even in the places where it's um, zoned as ag, I did, I did visit one gentleman who lives on an ag um, parcel, and he's got three cannabis uh, commercial grows all surrounding him. And um, it wouldn't be as bad if they weren't putting him almost as close to that property line as they can get them. Um, but due to the, you know, maybe the structure of the lot, they, they are. And, you know, I believe we need to look at during the permitting process and look in, or when we write, when we look at that ordinance, look at CCNRs. Are they even allowed? Does this community have CCNRs? And is this something that is, for, is um, not supposed to be there by CCNRs? I, need to th I think we need to take that into effect. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So the next question comes from the audience. And we start with Mr. Herrera uh, on this one. Okay. Um, is there something the Board of Supervisors can do to increase available affordable housing for low-income and senior residents and the workforce? Well, there's always something we can do. 
when it comes down to it, it's a matter of dollar and cents. But we're talking about private entities that need to come forward and want to build here. I, I do think that the county can come up with a more streamlined process for the permits, the zoning. Uh, I know I hear it from a lot of builders that there are issues with the county. There's a lot of inconsistencies with the building department. Uh, I experienced that myself when I was building my home and on other projects. So yes, I do believe that uh, it needs to be deeply looked at if we want to grow as a community because without the people, we're not going to have the money. Okay. Mr. Pettit? Yeah, um, absolutely there's things that the county can do. Um, we do need to look at our permitting fees. We need to look at the process. Um, contractors shouldn't have to, when they fill out a permit and they answer all the questions or they've ticked off all the things that the county's asked them to do uh, and they come back to the county, they shouldn't have to... Um, have more added and, and to continue to go through a revolving door of, of adjusting their permits. Um, the other thing that we need to look at is making sure we have the infrastructure in place to support these, these facilities or these um, housing needs. But I want everyone to remember that there's one thing that, you know, down on Cameo, um, there is a, uh, um, a spot for low-income housing or affordable housing going that was planned to go in but everything got put on hold because of the cost of fire insurance i think the county we need to advocate at state and federal level to do everything we can to help bring those costs down because right now that is a major barrier for developers to overcome thank you mr tucker yeah my family owned four springs mobile home park for 50 years and we were the largest provider of senior affordable housing in the county Back around 2016, I developed another 62 spaces. I think by all accounts, it's a beautiful neighborhood. Um, uh, it was past 5-0 on the board and the planning commission. But I'll tell you, I probably wouldn't have done it again um, because of, in that case, we had to deal with the state, the county, the fees. You know, by the time all said and done, the affordable mobile home without the land is going for upwards of $300,000 and we're still not making any money on it. So I've heard it over and over again. I've experienced it. We got to do something to um, give incentives to developers for well-planned well -planned, uh, projects. I think it starts with um, kind of the Board of Supervisors um, setting sort of a culture of a can-do within the building department with the county. We got to look at the fees. We got to look at the wait, wait times because um, I've heard it Repeatedly, people don't want to come and develop, and without the private developers, we're not going to see a lot of uh, new housing stock. Thank you. Our next question is from med the media, and that will be uh, from Pascal at Ubinet, and Mr. Pettit will answer first. Good evening, candidates. So, uh, District 3, uh, lovely South County. With 93 miles of county-maintained roads, 18.7 um, miles of community service areas, and private road districts, another 8.4 miles, and then 191 miles of private roads. Um, you all touched on infrastructure and fire safety, so access, egress issues. 
um, with almost 200 miles of private roads in District 2 alone, uh, how do you propose to have um, safe egress and access uh, roads, and how do you pr propose to pay for it? Thank you for the question. Um, we need to look at aggressively pursuing state and federal dollars. The grants, we need to, we need to make ourselves uh, competitive. Nevada County, we compete with Napa and Marin on a lot of, for a lot of the same funds. And they have a ability to throw a lot of money through to those. What we need to do here, like I had mentioned before, um, is make sure that our plans are up to date. We have one of the largest firewise, if not the largest firewise uh, community in the state of California. Those are all things that we need to um, highlight and use to aggressively get these grants. There's not enough funds here in the county to clear all the, the hazardous vegetation along those roadways, so we absolutely 100% need help from the Fed, federal government and the state government. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Tucker? Yeah, I think uh, Jeff is right on. We need to aggressively pursue state and federal funds. Um, I think it's um, the county has done a good job, or the citizens have done a great job. I live in a firewise community, and I think what I've seen in the last three, four, five years in the community um, has been pretty impressive. Um, but I think we need to continue that. The state has a $68 billion deficit, last I heard. Um, so I think um, the, the funds are going to start drying up. So I think we need to get creative. I think education is a huge part of that, continuing to educate the public. Um, and um, I think it's going to take uh, cooperation between uh, the public and private sector uh, to do it. But I think it's critical. And um, uh, rural communities like ours, um, it, it's a huge issue. Um, and I think the county needs to be really proactive in, um, in trying to facilitate um, uh, the mitigation of the fire risk on the ingress and e egress. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Hi. That's a, a great question. That's an expensive answer. Uh, as both candidates touched on it, uh, there's not an ocean of money out there for roads. I think our county's doing the best they can with what they have available and without taxing us further. Uh, but I do believe it is a priority for infrastructure if we want to keep this community looking as beautiful as it is and inviting other businesses and other residents from other areas to move here. Uh, there's, there's not much to say about it, but it, it's going to be an ongoing process. I hope it's at the forefront of every meeting, and I hope that they are creative and look for different avenues in which to come up with money. I don't think depending on the state is wise, and even less the federal government. Uh, but I also am not for taxing the citizens. Okay, thank you. Okay, so um, the next question is an audience question, and we start with Mr. Tucker. Um, let's see. The, the problem with obtaining affordable fire insurance is getting harder and harder to resolve. The California Fair Plan seems to be suffering from too much demand, and the system seems to be breaking. What would you do to resolve this insurance problem? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. And uh, 
we sold our family business in 2020 after 50 years of ownership, and it's um, people ask why would you sell a successful business? It's been in the family for 50 years, and it's the same reasons that families, property owners, business owners here in uh, our county and in the state are dealing with. And at the top of that list is the risk of wildfire and insurance cancellations. Uh, we couldn't go to the fair plan, and each year we were faced with that. Um, that threat of our insurance being canceled, which, which would have uh, put us out of business and essentially lost everything. That was one of the many factors why we decided to sell. So it's a huge issue. Um, if it was an easy answer, we would have solved it by now. I think we need to continue in conjunction with other rural counties, really lobby Sacramento and even the federal government to try and get some assistance with this issue because it's not going to go away. And um, it, it's, uh, yet again, one of those issues that's at the top of the list of why people are moving uh, out of state. Mr. Herrera? Yeah, that's a great question. So in investigating that, because my homeowner's insurance just went up, thank God I wasn't canceled. I have been a part of the FAIR plan. Uh, and it's funny how they call it the FAIR plan. To try to cash out on it. Uh, it's a huge issue. That issue, uh, I'm not a finger pointer, but I'm going to point a finger at the Insurance Commission in an attempt to try to save us money and lower the caps of raising it annually. Uh, they ran out a ton of other insurance companies that couldn't bond or afford to write policies here. So now they left four apples in the apple cart and they have to insure 25% of all the homes here. If there was a catastrophic issue, it's gonna, they're not going to be able to pay it out. So there's several moving parts here. Uh, I'm not a genius, or I wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, however, I do know enough that this is a huge issue. It's a huge issue with everybody here, and we're not going to be able to move forward unless we address it and take a stance. Uh, and I don't see that happening right now. But as a supervisor, uh, you can bet your dollar that I'm going to stay up late working on it for you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Pettit? So uh, the state, I will agree with Mr. Herrera, the state has done us no favors at the Insurance Commission when they initially um, had some of their, put some of their policies in place. Um, the biggest thing we can do as a Board of Supervisor is advocate, advocate for our citizens and advocate when we see uh, bad decisions being made at a state level, advocate against them. Um, Locally, what we can do is be, educate people regarding defensible space and home hardening. Um, doing those things to lower the risk of loss of house in the less, ho in the less houses that are burned in wildfire, um, that, that could eventually start to lower those costs. But on a county level, the largest thing we can do is advocate. Advocate for our citizens, advocate for better decisions made at a state level so that we, the insurance companies are drawn back into the state. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from um, our media member, Paul Emery from KVMR, and uh, Mr. Herrera answers first. Yes, um, Tom Durkin, who was uh, one of the directors of No Place to Go, um, have, have, says they have discovered that there are possibly thousands of people in Nevada County that are living in unpermitted buildings, basements, attics, garages, trailers, and motorhomes. 
and they are subject to, be, to having to move whenever they are discovered due to complaints, many times from irate neighbors. Um, if their numbers were added to the homeless list, it would increase dramatically. Would you support revising uh, building codes to allow these citizens of Nevada County and employees in Nevada, or workers in Nevada County, to live in security that they have a place to live and not just have to move to another illegal place if an irate neighbor issues a complaint. So I've been a police officer for 20 years. It's, it's safe to say that I contacted at least 5,000 homeless folks and folks living out of their cars throughout the years, more so in the last 15 years for various reasons that nobody wants to admit being the case. Uh, however, it is what it is. We have a sub subculture of homelessness and people in pain for various reasons. Uh, there are a lot of able-bodied people out there living out of their cars and trying to make a living. Uh, however, that's about 5%. The other 95% are able-bodied people who want to be enabled. Uh, there are tons of resources out there for them. We offer them every day. Every day they say no. They like living how they live. Uh, so is it an issue or is it unsightly? Is it something you don't want to see? Or are people here willing to invite them on their property to live? I'm not seeing any of that. Uh, so Mr. it Herrera, is an issue. I'm sorry, we're going to have to cut you You're off. You're going to cut me loose. Okay. All righty. Yeah, that's, that's a, a question that we're going to have to talk about over coffee. Okay. Mr. Pettit? Yes, thank you. Um, I, too, have spent a lot of time in law enforcement working out in the county. And um, I have seen people that are, that are uh, living the best they can with, the, with what they have available to them. And we need to remember, these are, these are not people, contrary to popular belief, these are not people that are coming up from the Bay Area to, to come and live here, um, and to, to decide to live homeless here. These are people that are our workforce. A you know, a lot of these people are workforce, and we need to remember that. They're, that um, we need to do everything we can to help get these people into permanent housing. Now, am I willing to look at uh, changing codes and, and um, regulations? I'm always willing to look at uh, what we can do better. And if that, if that is changing codes, but we still have a health and safety, we, we have a responsibility to protect health and safety, and that should be the number one thing that we're looking for, not just them, but, but for, everybody, for everybody in the community. Um, but to say that um, I don't think that we should ever look at a, a code and I'm not willing to do that would be obscene. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Tucker? The two gentlemen sitting to my left have over 40 years of law enforcement experience, so I wouldn't even pretend to know as much about uh, law enforcement as they do. What I do know is housing. Uh, we had 372 homes uh, at Forest Springs. That's over 500 residents. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm someone who did a lot of development, have done a lot of projects, and it almost broke me trying to, even at my mom's house, trying to get an ADU built or trying to come into compliance with a, uh, a shed we had built. So I can't imagine what it would be like with somebody without the resources um, or the wherewithal. So I think it's something we do need to look at. We do need to balance health and safety, but I think it's critical that the county 
in the building department becomes a welcoming place where people feel like they can come come in, um, they can be treated fairly, and um, that maybe the county's on their side um, in their efforts to come into compliance. And um, it's something we need to do. It's one of many elements um, of the affordable housing issue, um, but I think it's it's really important at the county level. Thank you. Oh, uh, Mr. Herrera uh, has a rebuttal. So one minute. Yes, I partly believe in what Jeff has said to be true, and I respect Tucker's stance on it. However, as a Board of Supervisors, it's my perspective that they're going about it all the wrong way. They're wanting to immediately take these people off the street and put them in a home. What nobody is saying is that most of these people have been homeless for a long time, and they have to live in a home, you need to have some skills. Well, they've lost those skills, those perishable skills. I've witnessed it in the new housing that they put up on Old Tunnel, where a young gal who was homeless and had kids, she met the criteria, they housed her, how great that is. However, she did not even know how to cook macaroni and cheese. I had to show her. And that was the reason for the call, because she almost burned it down. Uh, so I do think it needs to be looked at, and steps need to be made to get them into housing, but they need to have steps first. Nobody here was given a house. We had to earn it, work for it, and we learned how to maintain it from our parents. And uh, that's Herrera, the same for those time. folks. I think we just need to tune up that will and make it work more efficiently. Thank you. So I, I just want to remind the speakers that that we, you, you, it's really important to keep your uh, answers within the time allocations of one minute, so thank you. Okay, so the next question is an audience question, and we start with Mr. Pettit. Um, the question is regarding uh, public parks and community spaces. The question is, we've lived here Oh, we have lived here for over 20 years and in that time have seen many beautiful places destroyed by overdevelopment. Meanwhile, the needs of residents for open space, trails, parks, and a community rec center have been ignored. When will we get trails or public parks in District 2 and throughout the county? And Mr. Pettit, you're first. Okay. I think when we're looking at the issue of public parks and overdevelopment, um, in, in especially for District 2, any development that comes in, I, I think that needs to be a consideration of how maintaining that open space, maintaining trails through there, or even uh, putting in new trails um, to make them more welcoming for people to visit and, and still enjoy what we're so lucky to have in this, in this county. Um, I will say that the, the part about um, having a youth center or, or a, or a um, community center is really um, hard. I agree, we do need it. Um, I was on the NEO Advisory Council, um, and that was one of the things that we were always trying to do is to develop somewhere where kids could come, a community center for kids uh, for after school, uh, to give them something to do, um, you know. And it is, it's critically important, and we need to make those when we're looking at these developments and stuff like that as part of like the Greater Higgins plan, I know that that was a piece of it to make sure that we did maintain open spaces and have uh, trails. Uh, Mr. Tucker? Yeah, it's a great question and I think everyone would agree that uh, District 2 
um, compared to the other four districts in the county is um, definitely on the short end of open space and recreation. And I don't think uh, development and open space and recreation um, uh, opportunities are mutually exclusive. Uh, I do think we need to partner with private um, entities and philanthropic organizations to, um, uh, to achieve that. Um, I think the, the um, county government can also um, play a role in advocating for that. And I'm going to share a quick horror story that kind of, I think, speaks to the um, uh, more overall um, frustration with government. When we sold Fort Springs Mobile Home Park, we had a parcel of land in Alta Sierra that I wanted to donate to the Park and Rec District um, as open space or a park. My mom had served on the Recreation Commission way back before the Park and Rec District. We thought it would be a good way to honor her. Um, I spent years trying to donate that and was constantly uh, ran up against headwinds and eventually just decided to sell it. A private uh, developer bought it, and now a house is being built on it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Herrera? So I've been involved. Uh, well, let me back up. I was in charge of parks in Grass Valley as an officer for several years. Took care of 132 acres of park. I am a huge fan of parks and a huge fan of trails. One of the biggest reasons I love living here, I love the natural beauty. Uh, currently, we are working on expanding the Wolf Trail. I was behind a chainsaw this afternoon in uniform, helping them begin the trail. Uh, I do believe that we need more in District 2. We have a small one in Alta Sierra, and it does not encroach on properties. But I think if we plan ahead, we won't run into any issues when it comes to land management and encroachment. I'm a huge supporter. Okay. Um, the next question then is a media question, and it's from uh, Chris Gilbert at KNCO, and Mr. Tucker, you answer first. So how would you assess the progress of changes to the Highway 49 corridor to help reduce accidents as well as traffic congestion? Can, can you repeat the question? I didn't hear the first part. Um, how would you ex uh, assess the progress on Highway 49 to reduce accidents and traffic congestion? Yeah. You know, the parts that have been completed, including in front of Forest Springs that they did a number of years ago, I think were great. Um, I think uh, everybody was kind of uh, disappointted that it seemed like it just suddenly stopped there, particularly uh, past the Bar Meadows as you start to approach Grass Valley. I think it's a huge issue. Once again, uh, I, I think uh, it comes down to funding. Um, I think it's important to um, um, interface with the state and with Caltrans, Transportation Commission. Um, but I think that should be a priority um, of, on, on a state level, uh, in which case we really need to advocate um, um, for funds for our county. Um, but it, it's extremely dangerous. And uh, I, I know they've got long-term plans to eventually complete it. Um, but I think we need to do everything we can to put pressure as best we can uh, on the state to get that completed. And uh, um, I would love to see, um, before too long, the entire corridor from McKnight to um, Combi Road um, uh, as safe as uh, some of the sections that they've already completed are. Mr. Herrera? Yes. Uh, so I'm very opinionated about that road, stretch of road. I think it's a disaster. I think it's taken a lot of our family and children and residents from this community throughout the years. It's, it's very sad. Uh, I wasn't real thrilled 
with the result that we have now for the amount of money that was thrown at it, uh, I think that we could be a little more aggressive with the planning of those roads, be more involved. Caltrans comes along and we get what they give us based on land restraints. However, uh, if we have to deal with what we have now, I would like to advocate for restriping and more lighting. Okay, Mr. Pettit. So I think absolutely we need to advocate at a state level for that uh, stretch of highway to be improved upon. Um, you know, for 20, over 20 years, I was not only a deputy sheriff, I was a deputy coroner. And for the last, well, almost last year of my career, I was also the chief deputy coroner for the county. I know how dangerous that road is. Um, everybody, is, all first responders do. It needs to move faster, but it needs to be a, me a measured approach to how, we, how that's done. Um, and it's by far handled, well, it's handled at the state level through Caltrans and, and funded through SB1, I believe. Um, but there's also a property rights concern that we need to make sure that we're not, that, we're, that if the state is going to be practicing eminent domain, that they're paying a market value for what they're taking. Um, because that it does that is private property a lot of that roadside um, and if they're gonna come and they're gonna take it with eminent domain it needs to be a fair price for those homeowners okay thank you uh, the next question is, is an audience question and mr. Herrera you answer first in your opinion what is the top priority for district 2 from what I hear from the constituents there their top priority almost unanimously is fire and safety. In visiting Lake of the Pines, um, I noticed that their exit strategies for fire were adequate probably 10 or 15 years ago, but need to be addressed today. Uh, if there was a fire there, uh, it would be catastrophic. Uh, my stance on it is it's an issue. It needs to be addressed. I think we do need to fund fire departments there, and I do think that we need to revisit uh, fire mitigation uh, aggressively in that area, uh, at, not at the cost of the taxpayer, uh, and that's possible. Okay, Mr. Pettit. Yeah, evacuations are absolutely the number one uh, issue for the residents of uh, District 2 from everybody I've spoken to. Um, I'm happy to say that the, the county is taking proactive measures. They are doing a, an evacuation study with computer modeling based on census data that will show um, how long it takes to move people out of a certain area. That's critical for law enforcement to have. It's critical for law enforcement to have and it's critical for, for the uh, fire agencies to have. Because when you have an incident such as a wildfire, you have a dual incident command, one with law enforcement and, and another with, or partnered with uh, fire. And they're making those decisions of what to evacuate and when to evacuate and when to make those notifications. Having this study done is gonna greatly help the, the citizens in Nevada County. Um, but with that being said, that's not enough. We still need to work on clearing roadways and making sure that those access points are accessible. Thank you. Mr. Tucker? 
as I said, uh, these two up here um, are so well versed and have so much experience in public safety. And were I to be elected supervisor, I would lean on experts like this who have experience um, in public safety. But um, surely what I'm hearing as I talk to people, um, public safety, emergency preparedness is uh, the top of the list of most residents' concerns. Um, I think we need to incorporate uh, into every aspect of uh, county government and outreach um, a focus on uh, wildfire preparedness. Um, I think secondary issues of small business um, development, housing, and government accountability, uh, but surely public safety um, is probably at the top uh, of most residents' uh, list in District 2. Thank you. Um, okay, so that's, that's everyone for that question. Okay, so now we're moving on to a media question from the union, Marianne Bolsey, and um, Jeff Pettit will answer first. Um, uh, last week at the board workshop, Supervisor Schofield mentioned that he initially had reservations about working with the Municipal Advisory Council, or MAC. Um, but now, um, now that the Greater Higgins Area Master Plan has been completed, uh, would you continue to work with the MAC? even though originally it was agreed upon that they would sunset uh, when, when um, Supervisor Schofield's term ended. Then uh, this is a kind of a two-part question. That's kind of a yes or no. But the second part of the question is, what has the MAC Council proposed to make um, South County more identifiable? They don't have a Chamber of Commerce for an unincorporated area. Their discussions about a gateway installation over Highway 49 or some other or arts or signage. Um, there were also mentions of other three other projects that the MAC Council had looked at recently. Would you continue working with them even though they were sunsetted? And could you tell us about some of those projects they've been discussing? I absolutely can. I happen to be the vice chair of that the South County MAC. Um, so um, absolutely, I would continue to, to keep that MAC active. It gives the public an opportunity to come and hear from developers about what, they, about what developments are planned or being thought of for their community. And they get to ask those developers questions outside of a hearing that you would have here in the chambers where everybody gets three minutes to give a comment. There's actually interaction, and that's, you know, that's, I think, the core value of the MAC, is to give people their voice to these developers that are, that are building out there, or that, that are proposing um, projects. And I, this is a lot of question for a minute. Um, the three projects are a uh, storage unit um, that was planned, and um, there's a school, a, a kind of a... a um, a vocational school that was planned, that is planned, or in the pre-planning, and then there is a gas station that they're planning. And uh, part of the things that we look at, specifically on that gas station, is a, um, a mon not a monument, but a, a welcoming monument to the county as you enter the county. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Tucker? Yeah, I live in the greater Higgins area, and um, I tend to be hesitant about the endless never-ending committees that we sometimes see in county, state, and local government. Um, but 
With regard to municipal advisory committees, I think they're a great thing anytime you have the public um, on a grassroots level uh, being able to give input and um, help determine what they want their community to look like. I think that's a great thing. Um, and so uh, if I were elected to the Board of Supervisors, I would surely um, be inclined to continue with the Municipal Advisory Committee in the greater Higgins area. And um, I would uh, try to be really proactive in making sure that residents uh, are advocated for in the uh, planning process. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Well, it looks like that's been pretty well answered by uh, Pettit and Tucker. I 100% I agree with Pettit. Thank you for taking my thunder. Uh, and I also agree with what Tucker says. Uh, I like planning and designing. It's a hobby of mine. I admire it in other cities. And as a District 2 supervisor, I would want to be hands-on with those three projects uh, in support with the community and making sure that everybody is on the same page and that there is plenty of transparency with the developments. Okay. Uh, the next question is an audience question, and Rob Tucker, you go first. Um, what is your opinion as to whether or not the county should manage uh, the power grid? Uh, that's the first time I've heard that question. I think that one's a little out of the box. Um, my sense is um, we have enough challenges managing what the, the county is currently trying to manage. Um, we're talking about a lot of the issues here tonight. Um, I know there's concerns with the power outages um, that have occurred in our region throughout the state, um, but I'd have to learn more about it. I'd have to uh, listen to uh, both sides of the issue. And I think uh, in more general terms, uh, it's one thing I'm looking forward to on the Board of Supervisors is when either these uh, common issues that, that are, we hear about a lot or new issues come before the board, I look forward to uh, listening to the citizens, listening to the experts, listening to the county staff, hearing what they have to say um, on both sides um, of the debate, and then um, making decisions that I think um, are right for the county and are uh, in the best interest of the citizens. So I think this would be one that I'd have to educate myself more on, um, but would look forward to um, looking into it. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Well. Uh to be quite blunt, I would be against that. The county has enough on their plate, and it's not in their expertise. And if we need expertise, that's going to cost us money, and we don't even have enough to repair the roads. So that said, uh, uh, today I would be against it. However, uh, I don't know if we could ever manage it. I, don't, I have a lot of friends and a lot of resources, but I don't think I have that many favors for them to pitch in and help us manage that. Thank you. I have not heard that question, although I do curious about the, the idea of managing a power grid. Um, I have concerns about that, in particular the cost. Um, the cost to manage a power grid, um, I, I think that that can um, be a little cost heavy on what we can do here in the county. Um, I'm also curious if this is in reference to Pioneer Electric. Um, we did look at, you know, the county did look at Pioneer Electric being um, brought in. They currently service Placer County. 
um, El Dorado County, as well as the cities of Grass Valley and Nevada City. And they don't manage that grid. What they do is they um, offer a different type of purchasing power to be able to sell the power that is still transmitted along PG&E lines um, at a lower cost. Um, however, uh, my understanding is and they did present um, to the MAC was that um, after they did an analysis of what it would cost here in the county, it wasn't cost feasible for them to do that. And so it wasn't, they didn't avail that, us, that to us. Okay, thank you. Uh, the next question is a media question. I think John's. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Uh, Mr. Herrera's got a rebuttal. Yeah, I just want to expand on that question. Uh, that would require way more than one minute to answer. However, I, I would like to entertain the idea of an entity such as NID running the grid. Uh, I believe that they're tried and true and they're trustworthy. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, so now the next question is a media question from Pascal at UBinet and John Herrera answers first. Well, let's stay on the topic of NID. Um, NID and, well, AT&T. So connectivity and water, which are two, again, of the infrastructure requirements for any development. Um, do, do you have any ideas on how to either collaborate with NID to extend water lines within South County? And uh, do you have any idea apart from... Um, I don't know, staging a sit-in at the PUC uh, to preserve the uh, plain old telephone service that AT&T wants to be relieved of as carrier of last resort right now. So NID is an amazing organization. They're, I said they were very trustworthy. They're easy to work with. If we needed more water lines or runoff, in Alta Sierra and the Lake of the Pines area, uh, it would not be hard. They're very transparent, like I said, and very trustworthy. They're easy to work with. Uh, as far as AT&T and other broadband or cellular type of uh, companies, I would like to promote other companies here to join the area instead of having a cornered market where all we have is, uh, they used to be called Suddenlink. I can't remember what they're called right now. Uh, it's Optimum, thank you. And they're horrible, but they're the only choice unless you want to get a satellite or Starlink. Thank you, Mr. Pettit. Thank you. Um, Absolutely, I think we can work with um, NID and look at where communities want expanded water lines, but they do have to balance that with what they have the availability to provide. There's an infinite amount of water um, that they have access to. And um, so absolutely working with them, um, I think that's, that's doable as long as they have the forecasted water reserves to, to service those, because having a line brought in that's not running any water is not doing anybody any good. Um, in regards to the plain old, plain old telephone service lines, or they, used to, they call them POTS lines, um, AT&T is the only one who's got those in. 
and they want to pull them. They want to stop servicing them. Those are the old copper wires. That's what we're talking about here. And for a lot of people here in Nevada County and in rural areas, including District 2, that's their only service. That's their only phone service. We absolutely have to advocate to have those lines remain in service until we can get something better and that they are maintained. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Tucker? Thank you. Yeah, infrastructure is a critical component of this housing element that we're talking about. Without the proper infrastructure, um, we're just going to create more problems. So I think it's vitally important to um, focus on that, take advantage of state and federal funds uh, for extending that. Uh, with regard to NID, um, I have a lot of respect for NID, the people that work there. The good thing about NID is it's run by a board of directors who are elected by the citizens. Um, so I think there's always a level of accountability there. Um, John touched on it, but um, you know when we look at waste management, Suddenlink or Optimum, these are companies that have a monopoly on our area. They aren't accountable to the voters. They aren't really even accountable to the county government once the, uh, the uh, contract is signed. So I have a lot of concerns, and I've heard a lot of complaints about your waste management, your Suddenlink, and I think the county needs to take a, a much more active approach in making sure that um, these companies that have a monopoly are fulfilling their uh, obligations to the citizens. Okay, thank you. So our final audience question uh, goes uh, begins with Mr. Pettit, and the question is: Do you think the county budget is being responsibly managed? What changes need to be made, if any? So if in regards to properly managed, if we mean that is there oversight of that county budget, I, yes, I believe that there is oversight of that county budget. It's brought before the, the citizens every year. Um, it's gone through the budget subcommittees that um, are have two board of supervisors assigned to them. Um, however, I will say this. Um, a lot of what you see that gets put on the consent calendar um, for funding, and it seems like a large amount of money, are often pass-through funds. Those are funds that are coming from the state or feds that are being passed through to do state-mandated or federally-mandated tasks. Um, where I would have um, my a keen eye on the spending is things that are not state-mandated or pass-through funds. Um, in the event of emergency, yes, those, a lot of those funds um, need to be passed right away and, and due to urgency needs. However, there are sometimes funding things that come through mid-budget year that seem to me could have been budgeted and gone through the proper committee um, and sussed out at that point as opposed to uh, mid-year out of, out of nowhere, like I said, barring an, urg an urgency or an emergency. Thank you. Mr. Tucker? Yeah, I think... Uh one of the most important roles, and I think I said this before, of the Board of Supervisors is being a watchdog for the taxpayers. Um, and I think where some of the frustration in the community comes is when they um, see uh, our money being spent in a way that just doesn't seem to add up. And when you ask those in county government, they kind of explain it away. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but you know, this ranch house project outside of Nevada City is one that has come up repeatedly where the county spent $4.4 million to add a net of three units, and I think housed six um, additional um, um, uh, citizens. And um, I know 
um, when you ask people in the county, they say, like Jeff did, that's passed through and it's state grants. But from my perspective, and I think a lot of citizens agree, you know, if you're spending $4.4 million to add three units, even if that money is free money coming from the state, which isn't, it's taxpayer money, I think people want to see a little more transparency, accountability, and make sure our, uh, our um, taxpayer dollars are being spent wisely. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Well, that's somewhat hard to answer, but in some ways not so hard. Are they managing the funds correctly? Well, I'm not looking at the books, so I can't tell you. Uh, but I can tell you this from what I do know and coming to the meetings is that they do an amazing job with the little money they have. If it's not, it appears as they're leaking money. If you go to these meetings, they're million dollar meetings, almost every meeting, every month. But those are not our monies. Those are monies that are being passed through, and I understand that. However, I think where these questions arrive from the citizens is a lack of transparency. I never see any of them taking the time out to explain that to the constituents or the public or pass it along to the media. It very rarely is that done. And I'm a big supporter of transparency. Uh, as a police officer and lived here for 40 years, you can look me up in the internet. You'll find my social security number. I have nothing to hide or my birthday and my address and phone number. Uh, I'm not saying that they need to go to that levels. They probably don't have the trust I have in the community. However, okay. I do think they need to start adopting that style. Thank you. Okay, and the final uh, question this evening is, comes from um, Paul Emery at KVMR. And uh, Mr. Herrera, you start answering first. Uh, oh, yes. No, uh, wait, excuse me. Um, Rob, you go first. Yes. I live um, off the old Downeyville Road um, and above Deer Creek. And every year there are campers down in Deer Creek. Uh, and the, the possibility of fire from these people is really strong. And that's a way that, I mean, that could be an extremely dangerous fire. Um, these are homeless people. Um, the, the state of Oregon has really explored the possibility of tent facilities for these people and have a lot of information about what works and what doesn't work. You know, cities like uh, Portland, Eugene, Ashland, many of the others, they have that information. Would, would you support the possibility of, uh, because these people have no place to go. Once you boot them, they just go to another place and are the same threat, maybe in another neighborhood. Would you support the possibility of some kind of uh, tent facility for these people, much like uh, during, during the, uh, the era when California did, did that for all the people that came from the Dust Bowl? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And I think from a citizen's perspective, you know, just initially looking at it, I think the idea of having a population of homeless people and housed people in more of a central location as opposed to camping here, camping here, camping by the river, camping here, just from a perspective of public safety and the fire danger, I think there's some merits to that. So I would definitely be open to exploring that. I don't know if a, a tent camp, like you said, is the right way to put it or the right answer. 
but I do think um, sort of the shotgun approach that I feel like um, the state has been taking and I think the county has kind of followed um, in housing people here and here and here and then, um, you, you know, basically encampments popping up. I think it's a real th threat to public safety. I think we need to do it in a compassionate way, um, but it'd be something that I'd definitely be open to um, hearing more about, working with the private sector, working with people like Tom Durkin, um, to see if we can uh, find some solutions that uh, are compassionate but also protect the public safety. Thank you. Mr. Herrera? Downeyville, uh, that, that's uh, bear country, right? mountain lions. So, yeah, I think that I definitely would like to sit down with the residents there and the homeless population and possibly negotiate some kind of understanding where they can be and a, fa a facility that is safe from fire, wild animals. You know, the environment is pretty harsh up there. Uh, I'd, I would hate to be homeless and living there, but it might be a nice adventure. Uh, however, yes, I would definitely be open to that. We're all human. That could be any of us tomorrow. And I know that I would want somebody with my level of compassion behind that. Mr. Pettit? Absolutely, I'd be willing to look into or research that. And I think we could do better than having maybe a tent city um, where it's just a bunch of tents. I know that Placer County tried that. Um, we need to maintain a certain level of health and safety and security for everybody involved. I know that Reno um, launched a program don't know if it was last year, um, where they have them in small, uh, where they have these small, um, almost apartments, and then they have a communal bathroom and um, stuff like that. I, I would be very interested in looking at something like that um, and having somewhere that is safe for them, not only for their own security, um, but also that they can have that, that health and safety needs met of having clean water and, and restrooms to use. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always opening to, to brainstorm ideas of how we can help each other in this community. Thank you. Okay, so you want me to ask one more? Okay. Uh, so we'll, ask, we'll, we'll do a final audience question, then we'll do closing statements. Okay. Um, on occasion, citizens seek the support of local government concerning major social and political issues that are beyond their official purview. Examples include resolu resolutions in concerning apartheid, climate change, Black Lives Matter, and currently Palestine. What is your position on the appropriateness of the Board of Supervisors considering and passing such resolutions? Um, and I'm losing track. John, we start with you. Oh, wow. Thank you. So is that a position that the board has control over, these resolutions? Okay, it's not. It's nice that there's people out there concerned and bringing forth their crusades, uh, but in history has told us these crusades end poorly. I think that they're misdirected in coming and wasting their time of the citizens and the topics at hand, absorbing three hours of their concerns, uh, why we shouldn't be doing these things involved. That's way out of our level. If they really want to make a difference, go to Washington, 
go visit the president, the White House, go bother the governor, and move on from there. Thank you. Mr. Pettit? Well, here's what I will say on that. Um, the, the board does have the ability to pass those resolutions in support or against any um, political items that are happening in the world. I, I would say this, that resolutions that are passed by the board need to reflect the wants and the opinions of the citizens that we were elected to represent. Um, that, before any resolution, we better make sure that we are representing the citizens we were elected to represent. Um, and we, then we can have the discussions of whether we do put through a resolution. Um, adv advocacy can be done on all levels. Advocacy can be done through private citizens, through the government, and through private, non private entities and nonprofits. Um, so um, again, um, we just need to make sure that we are, we are projecting the will and the opinions of the people we represent. Thank you. Um, Mr. Tucker. Yeah, I agree with uh, Jeff to a certain extent. I think these are important issues that people feel passionate about, but I don't know if it's the um, responsibility or the realm of the Board of Supervisors in an official capacity be, to be taking positions, particularly on those that, um, for the most part, are probably split pretty evenly amongst the population as far as supporting or against. I think something as supervisor, um, as supervisors, it would be something that maybe in our capacity as a private citizen or attending events and showing our support for it. Um, but as far, far as Board of Supervisors meetings, I think it's, it's much more important that we focus on those issues, uh, that the priorities we've talked about tonight that I think are important to everyone. And if we were to go outside our boundaries and uh, start uh, passing resolutions or advocating, I think it should be directed more at maybe something that impacts us even more directly, which is the state of California. We can talk about what the leadership in Sacramento is doing and how it's impacting us, how the $68 billion deficit. Um, so I would tend to lean into something like that that's going to um, really impact the county uh, more in an official capacity. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. So now we're at closing arguments, and we start with um, Rob Tucker, followed by John Herrera, followed by Jeff Pettit. So, um, Mr. Tucker, you have two minutes. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, I'm not a politician. I haven't prepared for this. I've ran a family business for 20 years, and I think that's a perspective that uh, maybe is needed on the Board of Supervisors. Um, so, if I leave you with anything here tonight, uh, I'd like you to remember that I'm different, and that's not just because I spell my name with two Bs, robtucker.com, if you want more information. Um, and it's also not that I'm the only one of the four candidates whose first name doesn't start with a J. We've got Jason Tedder back here, we got Jeff Pettit, and we have um, John Herrera. Um, but. Uh, my dad and grandfather were uh, retired Air Force pilots who fought in three wars. They moved to Nevada County in the early 70s, put everything they had into a business. And um, as I look at the date up there, today is actually the anniversary, 23 anniversary of my dad's passing. And, you know, some of the, the decisions, the policies, the things I've seen in the state of California that's starting to filter down to our county, I wonder if my dad would have chosen to move here where he alive now and start a business and raise his family. And I love Nevada County, I love the people, uh, I have deep roots, um, but I think we have a lot of issues, and I uh, think we, um, the Board of Supervisors, 
um, could use a different perspective. Um, and I feel like I can bring that, someone who hasn't been in government my whole life, someone who's tried to run a business um, and meet payrolls, make investment decisions. So I think that's what I bring to the table. I appreciate the opportunity to speak here tonight. And thank you all for coming out. And I look forward to earning your vote. Thank you, Mr. Herrera. Thank you. So I'm going to just read the short closing statement that I wrote. I spent a lot of time on it, but I'm very sincere about what I say. I'm deeply dedicated to our community and have built a career around public service. As a Nevada County District 2 Supervisor, I am fully prepared to be the voice of the people. My unwavering commitment, knowledge, and resources enable me to address my constituents' top priorities, including community engagement, public safety, fire preparedness, and economic development through strong connections with the local businesses. I am excited to continue my tradition of service and work tirelessly to serve our community. These core values of integrity, loyalty, personal responsibility, and consistency have been the compass that has guided me throughout my whole career. My work closely aligns with the citizens of Nevada County, and I am committed to enhancing our quality of life through cooperation with the community. I believe together we can build a stronger, more vibrant Nevada County. And if you want to learn more about me, uh, my phone number is on my website, uh, Herrera for district2supervisor.com, or you could always come down to Grass Valley and ask anyone and they'll tell you where I'm at. And we could sit down and have a cup of coffee and discuss the issues. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Pettit? Thank you. So Rotary Club has a motto, service above self. I believe it's imperative that citizens are engaged in making their communities better. It's because of this belief I have been a member of service organizations and nonprofit organizations for over 10 years. I'm currently on the board of directors for the Grass Valley Center for the Arts. I'm a member of Rotary Club of Grass Valley South. I am a member of the Lake of the Pines Pinesmen. And as I mentioned earlier, I am the vice chair of the South County Municipal Advisory Committee, or MAC for short. I am also the past president of, or not the past president, I'm sorry, a past board member of Community Beyond Violence. I'm a past member of the NEO Advisory Committee, and I am a former member of both Kiwanis and Lions Clubs here locally. I've been drawn to serve the public, and with your vote, I hope to continue in that endeavor. I believe in open, transparent and accessible government. If elected, I will serve the citizens of District 2 guided by these principles and the belief of service above self. As always, I welcome input from and ideas from the community and can be contacted through my website, pettitforsupervisor.com. And I would like to thank the League of Women Voters once again, as well as our local media partners and everyone who tuned in and all of you who came here to, to take part in this forum to become more informed about the shape of the community. And remember, on March or on or before March 5th, I do ask that you vote Jeff Pettit for District 2 Supervisor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our candidates. And thank you to our media partners, KNCO, The Union, UBANET, and KVMR. Thank you all for attending tonight. <laughs>